0: Good morning. What a wonderful day it is. I, uh, I have the privilege of reading the scripture to you this morning, uh, and I'm reading from Luke 15, uh, the parable of the lost son, Jesus' words to us. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead." And is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look. All these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost And is found. The word of our Lord.
1: Mother Teresa once said that people are hungry for love. And so you don't need to go to India or developing countries. That's why you can go to countries like Canada and the U.S. where there is no hunger for bread and still find people who are feeling unwanted and alone. There's no question that people are looking for love and acceptance. Some will run from bar to bar, and some will run from church to church, and some will run from relationship to relationship, looking for someone who will accept them as they are. James Bryan Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, tells the story of a phone call a pastor friend of his received one day. A young woman on the phone said, "'I just have one question.'" May I come to your church? Seems like an odd question. The young woman went on to tell him that when she was in high school, she got pregnant. The young man involved had no interest in the baby. She decided not to get an abortion. And of course, when your world is rocked like this, you start to look for answers. So after some soul-searching, she decided to get her life in order and went back to the church that she attended when she was a young girl. She started to feel like she was back on the right track. A few months after she started attending, she thought that maybe some of the other young girls would benefit from her mistakes and what she's learned. And so she asked the pastor if she could speak to the young girls about the pressures of dating and sex. She was told by the pastor, No, I would never allow that. I'm afraid that your type of person might rub off on them. Even though she felt the sting of rejection, this was her home church. So she kept attending. Then a few months after the baby was born, she called the pastor to schedule the baby's baptism. The pastor said, this is not going to happen in my church. I would never baptize an illegitimate baby. And so after telling her story, she asked this pastor again, can I come to your church? We're in a series of messages in which we are looking at what it is that Jesus says about God and how Jesus' actions reveal the heart of God. And through this series, we are seeking to know our Father better because we believe that what we know and believe about God will ultimately affect the way that we live. In 1 John 4, 16, the Bible simply says that God is love. This is probably the most obvious characteristic about God, but also perhaps one of the most misunderstood. And so this morning I want to share with the Bible and specifically what Jesus has to say about the love of God. But first let me explain what I mean when I say that God's love is often misunderstood. Because there is a common misunderstanding. To some people, The reaction of the pastor who rejected the young woman seems shocking and insensitive, which it is. Sadly, we hear stories like this because it reflects a common misunderstanding about God's love, and it goes like this. God only loves us when we're good. Too many people assume that God's love is conditional. They assume that our behavior somehow then determines how God feels about us. And so as a result, God's love is constantly changing. James Bryan Smith, again in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, writes, It's as if God were on a kind of swivel chair, looking at us and smiling when we keep our minds, our hands, and our hearts pure. But the moment we sin, God spins and turns His back on us. And the only way to get God to turn back to us is by resuming our good behavior. Now it's really quite understandable as to why we might think like this about God. We live in a world of performance based acceptance. And we learn this at a very early age. Good and bad are some of the first words that we learn, usually in relationship to our behavior. We do something good. Good girl. We do something bad bad boy, and typically in that gender-specific kind of way. <laughs> and we learn very quickly that our acceptance is related to our behavior. Just think about our parenting for a moment. When our, ju- our children do something well, we're probably quick to affirm it. On the other hand, when we do something wrong, they're sure to hear about it. It just comes out almost naturally even if we somehow try to avoid it and some of this is necessary because part of the job of parenting is to teach our children right and wrong but the hard part is making it clear to our children that the issue is their action and not their identity while we learn performance-based acceptance in our homes the world in which we live reinforces it If we do well in school, we're congratulated. If we score the winning goal, we're praised. And if we're good-looking or beautiful, we're affirmed. Through junior high and high school, I was driven to excel at both academics and sports. And somewhere along the way that I had learned that in order to be accepted, to be acknowledged by my peers, to be loved, that I had to be the best and have the highest marks. And as a result, I still have this pretty fierce competitiveness about me. Ask my kids, like when we play games and stuff, it's like, you can't let them win. But it was only natural to project, for me at least, this same kind of understanding onto God. What do I have to then do in order to get God to love and accept me more? I came to live in that dreadful place where my acceptance became conditional upon my behavior. I did enough God-good things, and God would love me. I did some bad things, and God would turn his back on me. I've admitted in the past that I'm a recovering people-pleaser. Well, now you know why. Because I lived in this world of performance-based acceptance. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that this is legalism, and it's not grace. Any attempt to earn God's love through our actions or to avoid God's wrath through our religious performance is legalism. Legalism is when we seek to attain, gain, or maintain acceptance with God or to grow spiritually by keeping a written or unwritten code or standard of performance. And thankfully, while this is a common understanding, it's wrong. It's a misunderstanding. The good news is that it is not a correct understanding of God's love. You will not be able to search the Bible and find a passage in which Jesus tells us that God only loves us when we're good. So what does Jesus teach us about God's love? What Jesus taught us about God's love? Well, Luke 15 is a great chapter. It's probably quite familiar to many of you if you spend any time in the church or Sunday school. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus was trying to help the people of his day to understand God's love by telling them a number of stories or parables. And one of the stories that he told was read by Barry for us earlier. Essentially, it goes something like this. There was a man who had two boys. The younger one got a little arrogant. He got stars in his eyes and he wanted to taste life on the wild side. And so he talked his father into giving him his inheritance early. And so he headed out into the distant land with his pockets full of cash. He did find the fast lane and the fast crowd and did some fast living, but he soon discovered that the kind of friends that he made wouldn't stick around very long once all the cash was gone. Now, we don't know how many years had passed since the money was gone, but one day while he was feeding pigs to support himself, this disoriented young man finally came to his senses and decided to go back home. He planned to apologize to his father for his naivety and his immaturity. And then he'd offer to become one of his father's hired hands, since he knew that he forfeited his right to be regarded as his son. And so as he started out for home, he was rehearsing what he was going to say to his father. Now his father, who it seems had spent hours each day watching and longing for his son's return, saw him, the Bible says, when he was still a long way away. Immediately, the hope-filled father ran down the road to embrace his son. And he kissed him, which was a sign of forgiveness. And the son started to say, Dad, you know, I've made an awful mistake. Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. You know, Dad, I'll just be one of your hired hands, if that's okay. And his father interrupted him and said, Shh, shh, don't talk like that. I'm just so glad that you're finally home. And he rejoiced. And he ordered a huge party. And he said, invite everyone, kill the fattened calf, and we're going to have a huge party. Bring out that fresh suit of clothing for my son. Because he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found." Now, there are several lessons that we can learn about the love of God from this and the other two parables that Jesus told just before this one. And the first is this, that God's love extends to all. God's love is for everyone. In all three of these parables, something of great value was missing. Something that really matters. In one, it was a missing sheep. In another, it was a lost coin. And in, the, in, this one par- in our parable that we're looking at, it was the lost son. All three of these things were very important. So important that the owner searched until what was lost was found. But notice the focus of the concern in two of these parables was not just on the 99 good sheep, but on the one wandering sheep. Not just on the good son, but a disobedient and immoral son. And through these simple parables, Jesus was saying that everyone matters to Him, even those who have wandered away, even those who have disappointed and disobeyed Him. Psalm 145.13 says, The Lord is loving toward all that He has made. And John 3.16, that familiar and well-known verse, For God so loved the world. You and I have never ever met anyone that doesn't matter to God. God never made a person that he does not love God's love extends to everyone Secondly, God's love is also very personal The shepherd's love for that one sheep Caused him to leave the 99 and go off looking for the one that was lost And while God's love extends to everyone It's also for you and for me Every single person in this room, every person all over the world can say with assurance, God loves me. Reminds me of a a story I once heard of a, a famous theologian that was being interviewed. And after all of these questions were being asked and his profound wisdom was being shared, they said, well, you know, I got one last question. What is the most profound truth in all of the Bible? It didn't take him very long, and he says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. God's love extends to all. God's love is very personal. Brennan Manning tells a story of an Irish priest who one day was walking along, and he saw an old peasant kneeling by the side of the road, and the peasant was praying. And the priest was impressed by this, and he said, and interrupted him, he said, you you know, you must be very close to God. And the peasant looked up from his prayers, and he thought for a moment. And then he smiled and said, yes, he's very fond of me. I wonder what our lives would be like If we, like this man, came to the place where we truly believed the Bible's astonishing words about God's love for us and were able to regularly look in the mirror and say, I am the one that Jesus loves. Thirdly, God's love is eternal, it never ends. Here in Jesus' story, we read that the father never gave up looking and longing for his lost son. His love continues forever because God's nature is love and God is eternal. Now, he, he doesn't step in and prevent us from suffering the consequences of our sinful behavior and our self-centered behavior. But he never stops loving us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Psalm 89 two says, I will declare that your love stands firm forever. This is so different from human love, isn't it? Human love has a tendency to wear out, to give up. Frankly, human love can be very fickle. It gives up when the going gets tough. And that's why we have so many divorces and, and also why so many marriages are dying. Couples feel they don't love each other anymore. And that's why we need God's love in our marriages. Because human love may wear out, but God's love doesn't. Because God's love is an agape love. It's a decision to love. And when I love with a godly love like this, I choose to love you even when you don't respond back in love or when you don't deserve to be loved. I choose to love you on your good days, and I choose to love you... On your bad days. Listen, God will never ever love you any more than He does right now. Nor will He love you any less than He does right now. Because His love is not conditional upon your response. Others may judge you, others may refuse to forgive your failures. But God's love never forsakes. And so God's love extends to all. It's personal. It's forever. And fourthly, God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. In other words, God loves us as we are. Again, in Jesus' parable of the lost son, the son, from a human point of view, he, he didn't deserve acceptance. Right? What he did was wrong. He deserved to be shunned, perhaps even punished. And yet, Jesus says, when the father saw his son coming from a distance, he publicly humiliated himself because what he did was contrary to his culture. A father wouldn't do this. And so he publicly humiliated himself by rushing out to embrace his son who had squandered his inheritance and lived a disobedient and immoral lifestyle. There was no solemn lecture. Well, I hope you learned your lesson. Instead, Jesus tells of a father who is exhilarated. And he says, this son of mine who was lost, he has now been found. You see, friends, what blocks forgiveness from happening in our lives isn't a reluctant heavenly father who wants to see us squirm and pay for our wrongdoing before he forgives. What blocks forgiveness is us. Like the father in the story, God's arms are always extended, and he longs for us to come home. We are the ones who turn away, and yes, so often we are also the ones who refuse to extend forgiveness and grace to others. Jesus says, in effect, Do you want to know about the kind of love that God has for you? Do you want to know what it feels like to be God? When one of those two-legged humans stop running away from me, instead turns around and reaches out to me and says, I need you, it feels like I just reclaimed my most valuable possession, which I had given up for lost. Any parent who has ever had a young child wander off, perhaps at the mall, or at the park, or even at church, knows the feeling of panic when they realize that their child is gone, right? And, and, and it's just complete chaos, and you can think of nothing else in the world except finding that child. And you also then know the sheer sense of exhilaration and relief when that child is found. And it suddenly doesn't matter what they did, does it? That is how God feels when we turn our hearts towards Him and we embrace Him in faith. Jesus put it this way, I tell you, He says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner Who repents? God's love extends to everyone. It's personal. It's eternal. It's unconditional. And fifthly, God's love is free. It's free. But in case we misunderstand, it's also costly. Let's face it deep down inside, we struggle with. Accepting God's unconditional love as a free gift. We feel a lot like the prodigal son's older brother did here in Jesus' story. When the brother heard that his father was throwing a party in honor of this rebellious son, the Bible says that the faithful son became angry and he even refused to go into the party. And so his father went out to try to talk to him, and his son answered his father this way. He said, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never threw one party from, for me. But when this son of yours... I always loved, He couldn't even acknowledge that this, th- 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 this younger son was his brother. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you throw this major party for him. And his father responds to him, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. And he keeps coming back to that. Now, the older brother was upset because he felt that his father was being unfair. He believed that if anyone deserved his father's love and appreciation, it should be him. For after all, he was the one who had been faithful. He had lived his life that was pleasing to his father. And yet this parable teaches that God's grace is unfair. But that's what grace is. It's offered to anyone who asks for it, including those who least deserve it. We saw this last week when we looked at God who is generous, who is gracious, and you remember that parable, right? The workers who came at the 11th hour got the same as the ones that came at the first hour. And they could protest all they wanted. It's unfair. But God says, no, it's not unfair. I'm a generous God. I'm a loving God. I'm a gracious God, and I can do what I want. The father in this story, he loved both sons equally, even though one was a good son and one was an immoral son. And instinctively, we struggle with that. Because we start to think about the murderer and the child abuser and any other bad things. And our sense of justice wants to resist individuals like this deserving God's love and getting off free. We say to ourselves, "No, they deserve to pay for their crimes. And you're right, of course. They do deserve to pay for their crimes. But so do we deserve to pay for ours. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And those sins have to be paid for. And the problem is that it's impossible for us to pay for our own sins against God. And and, and what happens is people all over the world are desperately trying to pay for their sins through religious practices and by trying to be good. In fact, that's the key difference between every religion and biblical Christianity. Religion is spelled D-O, right? Do. Because it consists of things that people do to try to somehow gain God's favor and forgiveness. The problem is, of course, that you never know if you've ever done enough. It's kind of like being a salesman who knows that he has a certain quota to meet, but you don't know what that quota is. And so you can never be sure that you've actually done enough or that you're good enough. But thankfully, biblical Christianity isn't spelled D O. It's spelled D O N E. Done. Which means that what we could never do for ourselves, Jesus has already done for us. Jesus Christ came to earth and he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And he willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed for the sins that we had done. And the Bible says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, He didn't wait for us to be good enough because it was never going to happen. And friends, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there will be a day that we'll all face, a judgment day. But rather than trembling and choking back gasps of regret, we can stand humbly before God. And before anything is said, the imagery of the Bible is that you will feel a hand on your shoulder. And it will be the hand of Jesus And Jesus will look at you with eyes of love. And he will turn to his Father and he will say, I know this man. I died for this man's sins. We're friends. I know this woman. She reached out to me in faith and I saved her from the consequences of her sin. I cleansed her, I removed her sin, I paid the price for him, I paid the price for her, and I put my robes of righteousness upon them. And Father, they are now presentable, they're acceptable, they're blameless. And then in that moment, we will all know what Paul meant when he said in Romans 8.1, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's what Jesus taught about the Father's love. So in light of this, how should we then live? I mean, you might be thinking, as some do, that if God's love is unconditional and free, then why not live any way that I want? That's a good question. But I think we actually respond in love and obedience for a couple of reasons at least. One reason is simply because we love God. You see, as we grow in our understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus, we will find ourselves out of gratitude desiring to serve Him and others. Not to make God love us, but because He already does. And 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Period. That's our motivation for loving and serving. Because He loved us first. And another reason is because we are now sons and daughters of God. So why live like paupers when we can live like children of the King? And there's at least another reason why we obey God. And we find it right here in Jesus' story. The father responds to the son and says, My son... You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. What the father was saying is, Son, you have benefited personally from living a righteous life. I mean, look at your brother. He'll never be able to relive the years that he lived in sin. His wealth is gone. His health is gone from abusing his body. He'll never experience the good times that we shared as father and son when he was gone. That's the price of walking away, son, a price that you never had to pay. In other words, what this is saying is that there are always consequences that come when we don't live life the way that God wants us to live it. When we ignore God's standards, there's a much greater risk of Suffering, physical suffering, financial suffering, marital and family breakdowns well. See, our Heavenly Father wants us to live life His way so that it will go well with us in this life and so that we'll become all that He wants us to be. My hope and prayer is for some of you this morning is that you are feeling something stir inside you. As you've heard me talk about the love of God and that it's unconditional and it's free and it's for everyone and it's personal. That there's something stirring inside you. And I want you to know that I believe that's your love-sick Heavenly Father who's drawing you to Himself right now don't let that opportunity slip away or this opportunity. Believe with all your heart that God loves you and He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Receive His love today. Look in the mirror and say, I am the one that God loves. And then embrace that. Live like that really matters. And wherever you find yourself running here and there looking for love in all of the wrong places, looking for someone who will accept you and affirm you, whenever you find yourself trying to do something to win God's approval, remember this picture of the prodigal son. But picture this lovesick Father who wants to take you in His arms and tell you that He loves you and that He wants you and that you already have His approval and His forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He wants your heart, not your performance. For when He has your heart, He will live His life through you and your life will begin to transform you and everyone around you because now it's being directed by Jesus. In closing, I'm wondering if anybody has a $20 bill. I'm serious. Do you have a $20 bill? I'll be here, as, well, I'll be here as long as until uh, I get one. Oh, look at it. Great, thanks. Does anybody have a $100 bill? No. <laughs> We've all seen it before, right? It's worth twenty bucks. Is it not worth anything less? It's how God looks at us. We've made mistakes. Maybe we live with regrets just like this $20 bill bears the image of the queen, each of us bear the image of God in our lives. And we can be rough, rumpled up and crumpled up and stepped on, but it doesn't change your worth. God loves us, and He always waits for us watches for us to return to Him. And maybe you've been running too long. Or maybe you've grown up in an environment where you've never understood the love of God. And it's been about what you do and how you live and your behavior. Oh, that God, as we sang at the beginning, would open the eyes of our heart and we would see Him for who He truly is and that we would see ourselves the way that God sees us. That's enough motivation for
0: me to love and to serve Him and others as well. Let's pray.